Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. It's Will Ainsworth here from Open. And for episode number 24 for the Better Agent series, I'm joined by First Nationals Head of Growth for Australia and New Zealand and Chief Auctioneer, Mr. Matthew Harvey. G'day, Matt. How are you going? Well, thanks, Will. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks so much for joining us on this uh, episode. Ah, oh, pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on board. Right, uh, question number one to start off. Uh, now, First National has, uh, I think, just over 350 offices across Australia and New Zealand. How on earth do you begin, begin to uh, manage that number of offices? Mate, that's, that's a very good question, and that's something that we, uh, we analyse uh, year in, year out um, as the market and, and things change. I suppose one of the great parts about First National is our adaptive cooperative. Um, our board of directors are made up of principals from around the country, we, uh, which we liaise with on everything we do from a strategic point of view. Each of our states has a regional council, uh, and they're made up of you know either four or six to eight members from metro areas as well as, as, well as regional areas. And we liaise with them on what we're doing from training, from marketing, from uh, anything to do with products we're launching. Uh, because as you can imagine, you know, what works in Tamworth is different to what works in Piermont in, in Sydney or what works in Werribee works different to Baldwin North, for example. Um, you know, for those in WA, what works in Port Hedland probably works different to what works in Bull Creek. So being able to liaise with them uh, and via our business growth team, we've got business growth managers on the ground throughout the country. Uh, and what we've also done is we've really strategically aligned our executive team. So there's myself as the head of growth. We've got a chief operations officer. Uh, we have a national experience manager and a chief communications officer who all liaise with these members across the country and uh, and are actually out there visiting them as well. Uh, and as you probably know, Will, you've met Ray Ellis, our CEO. He's, he's the man on the ground. In fact, I ring him every day to find out whereabouts in the country he is because he's out there so often visiting our offices and, uh, and really getting a feel for what's going on. So that's probably the best way. So the, met, the network that we have, being that adaptive cooperative that we take the feedback of the membership and get an understanding of what they're doing, uh, but then we take it on board and executive team and the rest of our, our corporate office, you know, take that and put that operationally into place. Now, Matt, I've heard you say the, the word member a number of times. Um, it's not something I'm really used to. It's usually uh, franchisee or something like that. What's the difference? Uh, well, exactly what I've just said there. That they have a they have a, a, a share in it. We're we're a non for profit marketing cooperative per se, and, and I say I use the phrase adaptive cooperative because that marketing cooperative is a very eighties sort of term. Um, we're, they're not charged a franchise fee with us. It's it's a flat monthly fee whether you're writing a million dollars or or writing ten or fifteen million dollars in GCI. You know, so you're a membership. Uh, you're part of this. Everyone has a, has an equal say. So it doesn't matter, as I say, whether you're the, the top office in the country or you're a husband and wife team uh, that have been there for 20, you all have the, the same amount of say. Um, and, and that's probably one of the great things and one of the great parts of our fabric of, as a network is that it's a membership uh, uh, base rather than that sort of franchise size model. Not to take away, and I'll, and I'll never speak ill of what the franchise model offers, uh, but we are different in, in, in that aspect. Yeah, well, it's certainly a unique setup. Uh, so, congratulations! It seems to be working for you. Hey, um, what are some of the core pillars of First National's growth strategy? Uh, look, that, that's interesting, and we've chopped and changed over the last couple of years because COVID's really thrown a, a real curveball um, at, at everyone. Um, the market has, has, and you would appreciate this, has definitely changed. Without giving away too much and too many of our, our secrets, of course, uh, we've sort of got a, a three pronged approach. Um, 
you know, personally, I find that email has gone by the wayside these days, but hang on, it's still a part of what you need to do. Um, so we have a very strong database of potential members across the board um, that we are looking to, to target in, in growth areas via, via email. And, that, and that's, the emails are not, I've changed them. Our team have changed them in the last couple of years as well because the same old boring emails come out every year, join us, this is what we do. I've tried to jazz them up a bit and say, you know, not about, hey, join us, but this is what we do. This is what we're about. This is what our members are getting. If you'd like to partake in it, come along and, and see us. And I try and jazz them up a bit. We put little giffies in them and that kind of stuff to attract people to open them up. Uh, we've really ramped up the social media element of what we do as well. Uh, I find that there's more attraction to people being on social media and understanding of, of who we are and what we're doing. Uh, and then there's always the face-to-face. And obviously that fell on the wayside in the last couple of years uh, because we couldn't. Uh, you know, We were locked down in certain places unless you're fortunate enough to live in, in, in WA. Uh, or East South Africa, as I call it, because they seem to be more aligned over that side than with us at the moment. But that's a whole other topic. We won't get into political standpoints. But the face-to-face stuff as well is getting back in front of these guys. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's shown us in leaps and bounds how we're continuing to grow our network and have in the last couple of years too. Sounds almost like from a real estate agent point of view, you don't say to a seller, are you thinking of selling? You provide information and, and then when the time's right for them, they know that you're the person they want to come and speak to. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head, Will, and I use a philosophy, you treat real estate agents like real estate agents, uh, plain and simple. That's, you know, they're trained up to be, you know, do a pre-listing kit, do this, do that. I I tell my team to do the same. If we're going to visit someone, let's provide them with some information, let's do this, let's sell ourselves. And at the end of the day, information is so readily available these days, whether you're a buyer looking to buy a property, a seller, or you're in a real estate franchise or independent looking to change brands, the information is there. We've just got to make sure we're putting it enough in front of these people to make sure that they understand who, who we are and what we offer. I know this next question I'm going to ask is a really important one to you and the First National Business, but from a leadership perspective, how can real estate professionals foster more successful working environments for their team? Look, there's, there's, uh, I've seen this over the years and I've been with our corporate office 13 and a half years. Um, and I learned this back in the day from my old man. I look back because I worked in his office for about seven or eight years as well. And, and first and foremost, it comes down to your team and your staff. Uh, you know, the biggest issue that he had, and I still see it these days, so it's, it's been prevalent for the last 20 years, is staff. And so what that means is, is the culture in your office. Uh, we've got a couple of really great offices, and I, and I talk about one, and he won't mind me talking about it. His name's Michael Sleeman, owns our Reesby office. Now, he's built up such a great culture in his office. He's got a lot of young property managers, a big business, 800-plus managements, a great sales team as well. He's constantly having people knock on his door to say, I want to come and join you. And he's actually turning people away because he feels that unless they fit the jigsaw puzzle that is the culture of his office, it's going to disrupt everything. So I think it comes down to that. And, and look, there's been plenty of times in the past where people say, I just want salespeople. So Joe Bloggs knocks on your door and says, I'm a salesperson down the road. Can I join you? Yep, 100%, you're in. Without even thinking about the consequences it's going to have on the operational business of the staff, everyone in there. Uh, and, and it's all about creating that that culture. And we've got a great office in Backish Marsh uh, in Victoria as well. Husband and wife team work very closely. Uh, and they do a lot of great stuff together outside the work environment. I mean, if you look at it, you spend anywhere from eight to 10 hours a day in this office. That, that's a good chunk of your, of, your, of your day and you're there for 20, 30, 40 years. So if you've got somewhere where you go, you enjoy the people you work with, the people you work for, and it becomes, and it's, and it's a cliche, but if you love your job, it's not actually a job. Hmm. That's the kind of environment we try and instill into our members to create in their offices. I, I'm looking back at 
even though it was only a month ago, it feels like a long time ago now, on, on 2021. What were some of the positives for you in the first national network? Uh, look, there's a couple, actually. We were fortunate enough that we hold a national convention every year, and we held that in May uh, down in Canberra. And it was the biggest convention. And you were there, actually. And it's the biggest convention we've, we ever held uh, in relation to the amount of people that came to that convention. We were fortunate enough that uh, we we got that in just before New South Wales went into lockdown, before a couple of the other states, and there was a major outbreak. Uh, and, and that was a huge win for us because real estate, and for us especially in our fabric, is getting our members in front of people. And you would have seen that being there yourself. Uh, the vibe of the people there was just was unbelievable. We're very good. We've got a great events team and a CEO that understands how to put on these events. Uh, and that was huge for us. Uh, that was one really big positive is that was the biggest, and funnily enough, the biggest convention number-wise we've ever had, which was surprising to us understanding that 2020 was was the year of COVID and 21 coming in as well, that people may have been reluctant to do anything. Um, the other big positive for us was the resilience shown by not only the industry, but by our members especially as well. Uh, you know, for those that I, and I speak to, you know, any of our 80, 90 members in Melbourne often, and, you know, for them, you know, 282 days or whatever it was in lockdown. But as soon as they came out, they kept positive. What can we do to improve our business? What are we doing next? You know, how do I keep my staff motivated? It wasn't, oh, my God, this is day 178 of lockdown. I, I can't believe this. It was the resilience and the positivity shown. And in New South Wales, we went into lockdown for a couple, I'm based in Sydney, a couple of months there. But they worked around it. And, and the resilience uh, shown by our members during that period of time was testament to them and, um and also to our, our head office staff and corporate staff and, and our leadership as well. So that, that were a couple of big positives for us last year. Uh, look, and to, to also note, looking at figures from a head of growth point of view, we actually, you know, every year it's like a rent roll. You, you gain members, you lose members. You gain management, you lose members. We lost last year less members than we've ever lost in the last sort of, I think it was six years I went back. Um, I mean, that's, that's massive for a year that, you know, that we've just spoken about that we had. Um, to be able to retain more than you've lost is quite exceptional. I can't imagine many would be able to put their name to that. No, and look, a couple of those as well were where someone had two offices and went, look, I'm just consolidating. I've, I've had a opportunity this time to look into my business and go, well, let's consolidate into one, uh, reduce some costs and consolidate in the office. And, and so there was there was a few, like I would say half of those were that. There was a few where businesses where they just went, yep, I'm done. You know, someone want to buy my business, I'm out. I've had enough. You know, there was a few ageing principles that decided that too. Um as well. And then, look, there was a couple, unfortunately, within the real estate industry, and this is a great saying I heard from Ray, uh, LSA CEO, when the tide goes out, you get to see he's been swimming naked. Um, and I think that was really prevalent during the last couple of years. And unfortunately, yeah, it would have been not just us across the board. There would have been a, a few agencies that would have been caught swimming naked, unfortunately. So I, I think so. I'm glad I wasn't there to see them. <laughs> Mate, uh, as a leader of First National, do you have any goals for yourself uh, or for the network for the year ahead? Let's start with yourself. Uh, yeah, personally, I, I'm actually uh, studying at the moment. So my personal goal is to finish off the studying. As, as uh, If anyone ever tells me they're busy, I kind of laugh because I've got two kids under the age of five. I'm an auctioneer on the weekends. I travel a lot Monday to Friday and I'm actually studying, doing a master's. So uh, if anyone ever says I'm too busy, I kind of smile and laugh and go, look, would you like me to give you my day-to-day -day rundown? So for me, I want to accomplish that and that's something I want to do personally. Uh, you know, I've grown up in a real estate family, got a real estate license, a few other bits and pieces, but I've been doing that over the last couple of years to really enhance my skill set so I can provide that moving forward. And that then leads into my goals for the network uh, with this new role with New Zealand and, and Jacinta Ardern will eventually open up the borders and let me in. Uh, but really to utilise the strategy we've taken the last couple of years and implement that with New Zealand and, and strengthen the ties between Australia and New Zealand. I mean, really, 
it's quicker to get to Auckland than it is to get to Alice Springs. Like, so, you know, how we're not tighter over there uh, in general, their real estate market is very, very similar uh, and, and the strategies. And so moving forward, we're really going to look at you know, you know, tightening the bond we have with our New Zealand. And look, we've got a couple of offices in the Pacific as well. So that's that's all part of the strategy. Moving yeah, great. Forward. And, pers- and personal goals for me. And there's pretty good skiing over there. So no doubt when winter comes, you'll be itching to get over there. Look, there was a discussion about a conference in Queenstown at some stage. They did say May. I thought, can we move it to June or July by any chance? Just <laughs> uh, Brilliant. Now, the other half of your role, which you just touched on a moment ago, a moment ago is the uh, chief auctioneer. With your vast experience as an auctioneer, how does transparency extract the best outcome? Look, I'm going to be biased here, Will, because I'm an auctioneer and, you know, I was fortunate enough and that's why I left my, my father's office. I was a salesperson there and I got tapped on the shoulder by our chief auctioneer at the time who was a bit of a mentor of me moving forward and said, hey, have you thought about auctioneering? And I, I went in an auction at one of the local REI New South Wales comps and I won my heat and I, I think I came second in the state and thought this is a bit of fun. And I know I'd grown up in an auction-orientated office too. So I was unaware that you, you really ran private treaty campaigns unless it was after an auction had, had, had failed and, and, and or not failed, but had got to that stage where it was in the next stage of its uh, of its life cycle. Um, so I'm very biased, but I've always said that there is transparency on auction day. You can see the bloke beside you putting his hand up and bidding, the person in front of you. You understand the vendors there making decisions. There's, there's no hiding behind uh, an agent ringing and saying, oh, I've got an offer. And this happened to me when I purchased because I purchased a house with my wife six or seven years ago now and it was done via private treaty. And he said to me, oh, look, Matt, we've got another offer on the table. Now, my first instinct was say, oh, that's a load of crap he does not he's just trying to get me up another 10 or 15 grand. But with an auction, it's... You can see them on the day. Um, and even last year during lockdown, I ran Zoom auctions purely based on the fact that I had the people on the screen and so they could see who else was bidding. Now, we went through some privacy uh, things about changing your name and the likes, but it was the closest thing you could get to an on-site auction to keep the transparency there. And funnily enough, a lot of times where there was a lot of strong bidding and the, the people would lose, they would still clap and say congratulations on the Zoom meeting even though they'd missed out because there was transparency there. They understand that they couldn't quite get to that level. The person bought it. Great. So I, I always find that that process there is, is, is going to be far better than, you know, and very much like the open negotiation uh, open negotiation platform, which, you know, we've been partnered with since day dot. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a place for that and, uh, and and the transparency there that displays is, is is perfect as well, which is what buyers want, transparency. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Now, I don't know whether many of the listeners know, but you're actually on Channel 9's TV hit show, Hot Property, as one of the auctioneers. How on earth did you manage to get that gig? And and is it quite different to a normal auction? That was a, that was a long time ago. I think that was like 2010 or 11. I mean, that was... I mean, if you ever get a hold of the footage, and please don't share it, my hairstyle, I think I had blonde tips in my hair. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, funnily enough, you know, through our our communications and and, um, and marketing team, we get approached all the time. And uh, it just happened that we had a good auction that we thought was going on board. I think that approached that office as well as us. Uh, look, it was a little bit different. Uh, and I've been filming a couple of times for Channel 7 and the likes of that kind of stuff. But, you know, with this one, you, you got mic'd up. You had an interview before, interview after. But it was a doozy because if you actually get hold of the footage and see, the owners during the auction were throwing in the TV, then the barbecue, just to entice people to, to bid. It was I've never had anything like it in, in you know, my 13, 14 years of auctioneering. It's the one time it's happened. Um, it didn't get the result on the day, but it sold about five or six days later. Um, and funnily enough, this is where you get to see what TV does. If you ever watch the footage, Michael Kane, I think it's Michael Kane or Martin Keaton, one of the guys, I can't remember what his name was, 
he, in the beginning, drags it out. Oh, there's no bidding happening here. In all essence, when the auction happened, the bid started straight away and we're going quick and fast, but they've made a bit more TV out of it by slowing it up and panning to the crowd and everything. Um, but, yeah, look, it was a little bit different. You were mic'd up. You know, you had interviews before, interviews after. I had to stop the auction because the owner wanted to throw the TV and that kind of stuff, and there was cameras everywhere. And, uh, but it was an interesting experience, that's for sure. So Yeah, um, and that's what it is. It's, it's an experience and something that you, you may not get to do again, so I'm glad you, you went for it. Yeah, it's somewhere on YouTube, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now let's get to the topic for today. Uh, so what are some strategies that agents can adopt to be high-performing agents? Um, that's a really good question, and it's the it's the, probably the 60, $64 million question, really. There, there is no golden rod, golden sword. You know, everyone is different what they do. I suggest that you understand who you are as a person and, and own that. Um, I think honesty and integrity is coming more and more into play uh, within our industry. There's a real lean towards more social responsibility. And from a real estate agent's point of view, that means community involvement. Uh, and I see this with our top performing agents that they're, they're not just throwing a logo up on a local sports ground. They're there presenting the jersey. And I learned this from my old man back in the day too, funny enough. And I, I look back and reflect that he was a sponsor of the local lawn bowls club. And every second Sunday, he'd go up there and present the chickens to the winners. I know they get frozen chickens or something. You're talking 20 years ago now, whatever. Uh, but he was a part of that community of that bowling club. And he, you know, so he was seen there. So, the, but there's more emphasis on that these days. For those young people coming in, you need to find something you're passionate I'm passionate about golf and, and rugby union. I'm a avid Waratahs and Wallabies supporter, unfortunately. But if you've got a local sporting club, there's a local school, you're not just there putting your logo on the school, you're there helping with the charity auctions for the, the year two fundraiser, that kind of stuff, getting involved in that. There's that side of it which people need to understand that because there's this gearing towards more social responsibility, what are you doing for me in the community, in my community? That's one big thing I'd say. The other thing I'd say is you're never too old to learn. Training, get involved in scripts and dialogues, and look to find a mentor. Find someone that's been there before. Find that top-performing agent that spent 10 years in, in the basement making the cold calls, doing the right sort of stuff. Find out what he's doing. Or find someone similar to what you are and, and have succeeded and use them as a mentor moving forward because they will know, they will have gone through everything that you're going to go through. Um, and it's not a quick path. It, it's something that will take time. And, and unfortunately, there's a generation coming through that want everything now. But it will take three, four, five years sometimes to get to that level you need to. Um, and if you put the hard work in, you continue to train, you continue to work on your scripts and dialogues, uh, you have a mentor in place and you get involved in the community, you know, you're only going to reap the rewards down the track. Yeah, there's three really good answers and they're quite, quite different. Um, there's not really, like you said, there's no magic pill that you can just say, let's mm. do this. But um, I've got a number of mentors and believe it or not, in well, you would know this, but in the industry, the top, performers generally are the most giving and it's it's not a coincidence they've been they've given back but they also give back to the community as far as real estate agents and they're happy to help you forward so if you're an agent out there and you look at someone that you aspire to be like i guarantee if you ring them and say can i shout you a coffee they will say yes just take that plunge and give it a go Yep, and it's their time. They give up their time, and that's what one thing that a lot of people don't realise is is you can throw as much money as you want at certain things, but it's actually the time that people want. Yeah. Now, similar question, but if I said to you, hey, Matt, I'm part of First National, I want to sell 100 properties this year, what advice would you give me? Where would I start? Um, 
That's a really good question too. Uh, and 100 properties, a lot of look, it's a lot of properties if you're in the eastern suburbs of Sydney or the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, but maybe in regional areas, not that many. Um, consistency, I would suggest, is, is one place I'd start, you know, because in this industry, it's like an emotional roller coaster. You can have the huge highs and the huge lows. Um, we probably answered some of the question before in that you need to have that involvement within the community. You need to have a mentor, that kind of stuff. Um, but you need to have things in place. Uh, I used to have an ideal week in place as well from that side of things. So, you know, I look at the top performers and they go, I only do appraisals on Tuesday afternoons and this time and this time and this time because that's my ideal week. Other than that, I've got this going on, this going on. So you need to have a real structure around what you do. Um, but you've also got to have something, some time out away from it. If you're trying to sell a hundred properties, uh, you know that's a that's a that's a lot of work involved. Mm. Um, some people may not even have teams behind them. I know a couple of our top performers have one PA and that's it. But they work tirelessly hard. But they have an opportunity to get away from the industry to do something different, like go and play golf, uh, go and um, you know play poker if you want. You know something to get you away from the industry. But have that focus, have that idea week, have that training, that scripts, that dialogues, that mentors in place. The other big thing I would say would be social media. Um, have a very good presence on social media. Now, number one agent in Queensland, a guy called Ryan McCann, he attributes anywhere from eighty to $120,000 a year in commission purely from social media. He's very good. He's very simple. He does some cool quirky things and some videos and he's standing on letterboxes with soul signs, but he's created a persona about it. And what you don't understand about social media, I'll give you a great example. When I got to WA a few years back, uh, I've got a, or at the time I had one child, a baby, and I've got a golden retriever. And my wife puts a lot of photos of us and that kind of stuff. And this We'll get back to social media, but I went to this office. We're friends on Facebook and Instagram, but he never comments, never likes, and you never see. But he said to me, soon, oh, Matt, how are you going? How gorgeous is your baby daughter and your golden retriever? <laughs> and it took me for a second. I thought, hang on, what's going on here? And I had you know that? He goes, oh, I see you on Facebook all the time. So we're going to stand this Facebook and, and that social media is where a lot of people will not comment or like, but they'll see what you're doing. They'll see your stuff. Uh, and that reigned very true with me when he said that. I thought, that's great because – if you've got a presence on social media and everyone knows if you're five minutes early for an appointment, what do you do? You jump on Instagram, you jump on Facebook, you have a look. Having that professional presence on there, it puts a face to the name of who you are. If you're Will Ainsworth in the Geelong area and you see, oh, I can see signboards, but I see him on there and I see him with his kids, but then I see the real estate work he's doing. I see that he's supporting the local rugby club and he's supporting the local footy AFL club down there or the local school, that kind of stuff. People like that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, I went to that. I mean, I got a listing years and years. We're talking 15, 20 years ago now, purely because in my pre-listing kit, it told them what school I went to and I played first 15 rugby and first 11 cricket. And so the whole conversation in that a listing appointment was all about, oh, our son went to that school. He left in this year. He played first 11 cricket. Is so-and-so still the coach? And then we finally, after an hour, got to the point, oh, should we talk about the unit you're selling and move <laughs> from there? So... You know, you've always got to find an interest with these people and you can do that via social media without actually being in their lounge room. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's only becoming more and more prevalent moving forward. Yeah, it is. And um, if I can just add into that 100 properties a year, I'm curious to know what they've done prior to that. So if someone's done 30 sales last year and they come to me and say, I want to do 100, I've got to question why they want to do that and how they're actually going to triple the numbers. I mean, there's only so many minutes in a day. What are you going to remove from your business and add to do this? And and is it sustainable? I know myself, yep. I've sold over 100 properties a number of years, but each year it got harder and harder because I got more mentally fatigued each year. So yep. it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Do you want to do 100 sales one year and then 20 the next? Maybe do 70 every year. And are you monitoring what you're doing as well, Will? Like from a point of view, is, uh, and I forgot to mention this, but I used to have a spreadsheet that would 
dictate, okay, I've done 100 appraisals in the last six months. How many of those turned into listings? So, okay, 80 of them or 60 of them or whatever it was became on the market. How many of those did I get? So what's my conversion rate? And if my conversion rate is less than 50%, I got to go. Okay, what am I doing wrong? Hmm. Maybe speak to your mentor, speak to your principal. Um, you know, I know one of our officers, one of our first national officers, the sales manager or the principal it was at the time, the sales manager, would actually ring up a past appraisal. You know, the next day and say, "Hey, Will Ainsworth came in and met you. I'm the Matt Harvey, the principal here. Just want to make sure. Did he provide you the information? Is there anything else I can help you with? You know, blah blah blah. Any reason you wouldn't go with him and ask a couple of you know pertinent questions like that. Yeah. Um, always ascertain as to where you're at. If you're getting a hundred, you know, getting thirty sales a year because you're doing 30 appraisals and, and turning them all over, get more appraisals because you've obviously got a 100% conversion rate. But if your conversion rate's less than 50%, there's something you're not doing right that all you need to do, you don't need to work any harder. You just need to work smarter and work out what you're doing wrong and fix that. And that's where training and your mentor and scripts and dialogues come in to find out how you can turn that conversion rate from 50 to 75%. You're not working any harder. You're actually just working a bit smarter. Yeah, that's perfect. Really well said. Now, what are some of the traits of an agent who, who's equipped to adapt into the industry as opposed to, and you and I see it all the time, ones that come in, six months later, they're gone. What's the difference between someone that's going to succeed or not? Well, I think we've mentioned this a couple of times and it's great. It's, it's not a, I'm going to do 100 properties in my first six months. You, you, you've got to work hard at this. The agents that are these top performers you see and, and our Michael Sleeman's in Reesby and our George Rapti's in Newcastle and Rick Hockey in Port Hedland, he's been there for 25 years. You know, he has the name. You know, Michael Sleeman's been in that area for 15 years. George Rapti's been in Newcastle area for 20 years. So they they were not writing those dollars when they first started. You know, you, I started as, a, as a, in the property management department of all places at my father's office for a year until I said, Dad, I'm out of this, I can't handle this, this is not for me. But I then moved into being the PA for the number one salesperson to learn off him. So you're going to have to bide your time coming in. And unfortunately, there's a generation that want, and that's just to do with technology and who we are these days, that they want everything now. If you put in the hard work, it will come. And, and I'll give you another great example. Our office at Reezy, Michael Sleeman, his business partner, Paul Davis, who's only 27, I think. And I hope he's not listening to this and get it wrong. But he started in that office when he was 17. He's now 27, writing a million dollars plus a year. But it took him 10 years. But he knew it was going to take that time. He learned, he learned, he learned. And then two years ago, I think he wrote his first million at 25. Last year, the year before, after that, 2020 was a bit harsh on everyone. And then he, and he wrote a million dollars. So he's 27. But it took him 10 years. So for those people that come in, sometimes they come in um, when the market's hot. Uh, and funnily enough, talking to a couple of agents lately, they're kind of hoping, you know, when the election comes, the market peters a bit because that will take a lot of those agents out because they've never dealt with a marketplace where you actually have to look after your buyers. You have to look after your vendors better. You have to actually talk to your vendors more about the market, what's doing, you know, educate them more because the market's not quite at that level where it needs to be. So there's that skill set as well. Uh, but if you bide your time, you know, put all those things in place, have a mentor, utilise the training available via, via your network and, you know, First National has great training across the whole country, you know, have all those things in place, bide your time, you, you will succeed. If you put the hard work in, you will succeed. Absolutely. Now, we ask all our guests this as we are called the Better Agent Series, so to be remiss of me not to. What's your one holy grail tip for listeners to be better agents? Join First National. No, <laughs> as a head of growth, I couldn't, I couldn't not say that, could I? No, good um, <laughs> I think there's a couple of things. One, be true to yourself in who you are, okay? People respect that and they respond to that. Uh, and I see it across all the board and I see it across other networks as well. Those top performers and the better agents, they are true to themselves in who they are. They're honest. Uh, they're, they're, they've got integrity. 
within the industry, um, but they're very good at their job at the same time and they work hard at their trade. Okay, so you look at these guys and think, oh, they drive the flashy cars. Yeah, but they've worked hard at their trade. Uh, they've, they've got great integrity about what they do. They respect the industry. And look, there's always going to be a small percentage, unfortunately, that affect that. And that's in every industry. But if you look at the top performers, they're the ones that are raising the level of professionalism uh, in our industry. And I think that's what you need to do. And, and you need to look at yourself and go, right, who am I? And how can I better myself uh, and better the industry that I'm in as well that I love so much? which is like me and the real, and hence why I'm studying at the moment because I want to better myself for the industry that I've been in my whole life and, and absolutely love. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's, that's really good advice. Now, I've got some uh, rapid-fire uh, one-word answer questions. I'm not sure whether you uh, know about this, but I'm going to throw <laughs> a few questions at you and uh, you've got one word to give me to answer them, okay? You ready to go? All right. When are you most productive? Afternoon. Who is your celebrity crush? Before you answer that, maybe I should say, I know you're married. Who was your celebrity crush when you used to have peroxide a tip and play rugby? Heidi Klum 12, 20 years ago. All right, and then who's, what about now? What about now? Um, it's hard because you know what? I've got a wife and two young kids, so it's my celebrity crush. Phil Mickelson, I love my golf. <laughs> I, I would. I, I can talk underwater with a mouthful of marbles, but if I met him, I reckon I'd go silent. So, <laughs> uh, I love the way you got around that. What was your uh, childhood nickname? Showbag. Uh, well, sh- showbags, and I probably need to explain that to you. Um, yeah, I want to know because I played a lot of rugby. Uh, they nicknamed me Showbags because you know you go to the local show, you get a showbag. Apparently, I look good, but really, I'm just full of crap. So. <laughs> There's a few of our members that know that. I'm, I'm sure there's a few more that are going to know that after this. So there's a few other nicknames, but Showbags is one that stuck with me for a long time. Uh, showbags it is for me for now on. What was your most hated subject at school? Oh, English. English. Yeah. Mathematics. It's funny. You and I talked for a profession and both hated English. I can, I can talk, Will, but I can't write it down. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first job? Uh, I worked in a chicken shop. The local chicken shop, and the guy still remembers me because the business that bought my father's business still managed his property. And he actually, every time he sees my dad, and that was, God, I'm 40, nearly 42, and I was 14 then. And he still asked how I am. And I was out the back stuffing the chickens, putting them on the thing, you know, the barbecue chicken shop. Good times. Yeah. Uh, it's a good start. Would you uh, or do you double dip when no one's looking? 100%. 100%. George Costanza, double, always double dip. <laughs> We all do, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't where, I don't know where people are looking. Yeah. <laughs> you would too. Uh, now, showbags, that is the end of uh, uh, this episode of the Better Agent series. You've been absolutely fantastic. I've obviously known you for a little while now working uh, with you as part of Open and I've uh, got a lot of time for you. You were very nice and good to me when I came along to the conference in Canberra, as you mentioned earlier, so... Uh, really appreciative for your time today and, um, you know, First Nationals going places, particularly with you as the head of growth um, and the chief auctioneer. So uh, thanks for your time, mate, and uh, really appreciate it. No, Will, absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure to work with you guys and, and the team at Open over the last couple of years as well. I wish you all your best with your, your multitude of hats that you're wearing right now. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and I look forward to catching up face-to-face when, uh, when I'm back down in Geelong sometime soon. Absolutely. Good on you, Matt. Thanks very much. Thanks, Will.